Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The Bible is a huge book. Is there any way that um, we could use it for evangelism and discipleship? In The Scent Life today, we want to talk with Professor George Robinson, uh, about using the Bible as our primary tool for evangelism and discipleship. Welcome to The Scent Life. All right, welcome back. This week, uh, Anna into our studio. and as we talk about stories of the scent ones. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so, you know, on our campus at Southeastern, we have a real uh, affinity for uh, the Persian world. We do. Uh, we have Persian Leadership Initiative, uh, Nathan our podcast engineer uh, is also pastor of a Persian church and leads a, a network of churches uh, around the world. So we have an affinity for Persia itself. We do. And for the Persian people. Yes. And today we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about one of the, the first missionaries to the Persian people that we know of. That's right. Um, named Henry Martin. Henry Martin. I bet very few of our people at all have even known about Henry Martin. I, d- I doubt it. Yeah. And one of the things that I don't know that many people recognize is that... The uh, Persian church is the fastest growing church among the Muslim people. Right. Um, and some people would even say the fastest growing church in the world. Right. And a lot of this um, is surprising to, mm-hmm. I think, a lot of people. They, don't, they just don't know that that movement's happening. That's right. Um, but part of the reason that we have a, a Persian leadership development initiative is we recognize the need for leaders for all these people who are coming to Christ. That's a great point. Um, and so when, when we're thinking about Henry Martin, what I want you to recognize is that what we're seeing today is the result of the faithful work of people like Henry Martin. That's right. Good point. Um, so Henry Martin was a pioneer missionary to the Muslims. Um, he actually heard Charles Simeon talking about William Carey and the work that he was doing in India. Okay. And this encounter changed the course of Martin's life. Hmm. So he starts, uh, he decides to read the biography of David Brainerd, okay. which ends up being a really important biography in the life of many missionaries. Many missionaries, that's right. Um, and between hearing about William Carey and reading this biography, he decides to become a missionary. Okay. Uh, and which side point, I just want to say, this is why it's important for us to hear stories about faithful people. That's right. Because hearing stories about faithful folks leads to our own faithfulness. Great point. Um, so at age 22, he was ordained as a curate, an Anglican priest, and a chaplain for the East India Company. Mm. Um, so do recognize, uh, I think you, I think we have to say this, that this probably was kind of on the coattails of colonial, colonialism, right, right. Um, which is a sticky topic in missions right, that, that, right. that we don't really have time to parse out. But just recognize, I want our, I want our listeners to recognize it's sticky That's and right. it's complex. Right. And so don't uh, recognize that we recognize that. Right. <laughs> so um, in 1805, he left and set sail for India, and he actually got to meet William Carey. Great. And other missionaries that encouraged him to do Bible translation. Mm-hmm. So Bible translation, for those of you who don't know, uh, especially in that time, there were lots of places that didn't have any ac- uh, accessibility to the Bible. Right. And so they, William Carey, many others, really encouraged this translation of the Bible kind into of the various languages. Of what the missionary activity needed to be exactly right? for them to have uh, for them to grow in their faith. They needed right. the Bible. How do we teach them to obey all that Christ commanded if we don't know what He commanded? Exactly. Yep. So he he works on this Bible translation, and he actually serves as a a chaplain at military post, and he preached to anyone who would listen, okay. um, and at that point began his New Testament translation. So he had great confidence in his translation, um, so really much did. so— He was kind of really proud of what he, he produced, He right? really was. He really was. Uh, so much so that he thought other religious scripts would, would obviously be forgotten, right. um, which 
that wasn't the case, obviously. Um, he actually experienced a lot of hostility even mm. as he translated so the New right. Testament. Um, so in 1810, he, he took a trip to Persia. Mm -hmm. He had some poor health at the time, and so he was hoping to better his health and also to improve his translations um, for different languages. And while he was gone, he wrote, he wrote tracts and he began uh, debates with Muslim scholars. Mm. However, his health continued to decline. Um, and his, though he attempted to go back to Eng England, he ended up passing away in Asia Minor in yeah, 1812. He never really made it home, did he? He never made it home. An interesting kind of quote to know about Henry Martin is that when he arrived in India, he wrote in his diary, let me burn out for God. Wow. Um, which I think is what you see that he did, right? right? So he, he lives his life um, proclaiming the gospel to anyone that he has the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to. And he also works on these translations for multiple languages. I don't remember how many languages he ends up translating the Bible into, but it's yeah. it's more than one, right. uh, which is pretty incredible it for is. especially that time period. Yeah. So he, he gives us this, this great example of being on fire for Christ and having a passion for making God's name known among the nations. Yeah, and a great point you made right at the beginning is that the, the legacy of Henry Martin we're seeing today at Southeastern Seminary and trying to continue as we uh, engage our, uh, our efforts to help the church in the Persian world uh, mature and grow uh, leaders, develop leaders, and grow in its theological knowledge. Yes, and as you're, as you're thinking about Henry Martin today, I would encourage each and every one of you to pray for the Persian church today. Yes. Pray for their leaders, pray for those who are facing persecution, um, and pray that they might make God's name known boldly. Amen. All right, so today we're here with uh, my buddy, Dr. George Robinson. Uh, George, how long have you and I worked together? Um, I started on faculty in 2008, and I think maybe a year or so after that, you and I sat and shared a cup of coffee together right so. after you had come, come in from overseas. So pushing 15 years yeah. we've been here. Close. Yeah. So Dr. Robinson is our uh, Bailey Smith Chair of Evangelism, but he's also Professor of Global Disciple Making. Uh, been on faculty here for nearly 15 years, mm -hmm. right? And yes, taught sir. In many different, uh, different components. Uh, George and his wife served overseas for several years. You guys were where? We were in South Asia. Okay. Um, working in a Muslim country, pretty remote uh, area. You did as part of our two plus two program, right? That's there. right. So yeah. You... So we were, I think, the third class. Okay that deployed in our two plus two program. So we went out with uh, the International Mission Board and. 1999. Wow, long time ago. We're yeah. a little bit older than we were when we first went out. We are, and we're showing it. <laughs> the other thing about George is that, uh, like my podcast comrade, uh, uh, my podcast partner last week, uh, George is a big Georgia Bulldogs fan, so I'm surrounded by Bulldogs on the Auburn-Georgia week. George, what do you think about the game this week? Go dogs! Uh, right away, right away. Yeah, I, I uh, graduated. I I have a distinction in our faculty uh, with regards to people who are dogs fans. I know Dr. Aiken is a big dog fan, but I alone am an alumni uh, of the University you of are, Georgia. You're a real, you have every reason yep. to be a Bulldog fan. I actually grew up going to those games with my dad. So like national championship year back in our glory days, <laughs> Herschel Walker, I was there. Good deal. I'm afraid this year that uh, Georgia's a little bit better than Auburn, but I gave my pick last week. I think Auburn's going to beat Georgia. Last second field goal, 31-28. to 28. What's your prediction for the game? 
for Georgia Auburn. Yeah, be um, nice to me now. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll take Georgia by three touchdowns. Three touchdowns. Yeah. I hope you're wrong, but I'm afraid you might be right. Yeah. Well, we got Arkansas this week, and that's not going to be an easy one. That's so, true. That's this is true. the first time ever that University of Georgia's had ESPN game day two times in a season. Is that right? Yeah. Wow, that's so great. So we started with Clemson, and then now we've got Arkansas because Arkansas unranked at the beginning of the year, and now they're they ranked number eight. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I was talking with uh, Todd Unzicker last week about it, and we both were commenting how difficult it is to think about Auburn, Georgia being – an October game, not yeah. a November game. Yeah. I mean, for my whole life, it's been this is the game in November before the bad game at the end. And now we've moved it into October. It's just hard to get things straight. Literally the greatest football game I've ever watched in my entire life was the Georgia-Auburn November yeah. game in 2007 um, in Athens, Georgia, between the hedges. I went. Uh, my wife and I went with uh, Josh and Jason Reed, yep. the couple that we've been mentoring forever. They also are graduates of Georgia. And we had great seats, and Georgia thumped <laughs> Auburn <laughs> under the lights that night. And we had a what, what we call a blackout. Yeah. Everybody in the whole stadium wore black. Wore black and uh, um, there may have been some... Uh, Bulldog fans that were dancing around to Soldier Boy. I bet so. Yeah, those were the <laughs> days, right? Well, Jordan, I appreciate you being here. We want to spend a little bit of time talking about discipleship, disciple, and 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 doing this whole process of making disciples, evangelism. But over the years, you've um, you've been working out uh, a, a program for doing discipleship or, or, or a method that just basically takes encompasses taking the whole Bible. That's right, and using it as a tool yeah. uh, for uh, for doing that. And you did a a faculty lecture. We're going to link to that in our podcast. But okay. you did a faculty lecture a couple weeks ago that I thought was really good. And so that's really we're in here talking just about this whole uh, this whole process. So when you think about using the Bible as a story, what was it that led you down this down this process of letting the Bible itself, as opposed to um, just some outline or methodology or whatever? Not that there's anything wrong with those, but using the Bible itself as your primary tool, your primary source for disciple-making, for, uh, for evangelism. Yeah, so e- even though I am a, a product of personal evangelism, I, I actually came to faith in Christ while I was a student at University of Georgia, and it started with a guy having a conversation with me at a bus stop. Even though I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and um, came to faith uh, in uh, my early 20s, I'd grown up around church mm-hmm. and, you know, familiar with all the stories, uh, you know, had had what I would call a biblical worldview. Right. Um, so when I came to faith, like, I accelerated really quick in terms, I had the knowledge, it was just a matter of applying uh, the different things that I'd learned. But when we came here to Southeastern um, in preparation uh, to, to go and serve in South Asia, I had no idea that I was going to be appointed to go and work in a Muslim country. I came here speaking a little bit of Spanish. I thought I'd go to Latin America and serve as a missionary in that context and got here and found out the uh, 2 plus 2 program was going to send us to a Muslim country in the Himalayas. And I was like, wow, that's that's going to be starting from ground zero. And so learned a lot of things while I was here, but really when we hit the ground in – those valleys of the Karakoram Range right. in South Asia, um, working with unengaged, unreached people groups, most of whom had zero background on the Bible. Mm. They knew 
the name Isa Masih from right. uh, the Quran, but they had no idea who he was. And right. so it was like a, a ministerial crisis hmm. for me because I had to figure out how am I going to communicate the gospel to these people in such a way as to establish a biblical worldview as I'm doing it. Right. And so that's that's where it came from. Okay. A lot of conversations with uh, Muslims starting from uh, from creation and mm-hmm. moving all the way through because their big argument uh, against Christianity, other than the fact that they tied it to American culture, their big argument was that the concept of, of Jesus, if he was a great prophet according to their book, mm-hmm. um, the, the fact that God or Allah would allow Jesus to die on the cross would have been just untenable to them. And so they they had to I had to convey to them why the cross was not a tragic accident, mm. but rather it was the intentional plan of God. And in order to do that, I had to start as Jesus did in Luke twenty four right. um, with Moses right. with Genesis one. Right. So now the the Bible is a big book. Right. I mean, very uh, most of us are would say, hey, you know, I'm, I believe the Bible is the word of God, and and but so few people read the whole thing. Right. It's so intimidating. 66 books, um, thousands of years span. You've got poems, you've got stories, you've got laws. How, as you're, as you're working through this process, how do you overcome intimidation as yeah. you think about using the Bible itself, not just breaking it out into a convenient outline? And then, you know, how do you, can you help the, the listeners really think about, okay, this, it is a big book and there's a lot in it, but it's, you know, how do we overcome this and how do we use this as the tool that you've been able to, uh, to help shape and, and use it? Yeah. So, you know, the big, the intimidating factor about the Bible is that it doesn't read like an ordinary book, right? Because right. you do have 66 uh, books, each one of them uh, with its own subplot with its own characters right. and whatnot, and there's some overlap for sur- for sure. But the intimidating thing is that people don't understand how to connect those subplot mm. stories into a grand narrative, right. right? And so that's what I like to do okay. when I'm sharing the gospel, and that's the reason why I do evangelism with the whole story, mm-hmm. because the way that you win someone sets up the framework for their discipleship. That's a great point. Great point. And so if you win them with John 3.16, it doesn't—yeah, they're saved mm-hmm. if, if they convert listening to John 3.16. But then how do, you, how do you go from there and show them the importance of Leviticus? Good point. Um, and so when I, when I share the gospel using the grand narrative right. of Scripture— um, and they say yes. They surrender to King Jesus um, in that. Now I've got that whole story is the landscape of their discipleship, and it all matters. Yeah. And now they also are looking at that whole story through a Christological mm-hmm. hermeneutic or a, a, a gospel-centered right. uh, lens. Right. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people miss in evangelism when we do things, you know, we use things like the Romans Road, which right. is good. That's right. But if you look at the whole letter of Romans, it actually kind of does this, it right? Makes sense. That's right. It goes through the whole narrative, really. Right. Um, and so, just picking out particular verses mm-hmm. or using uh, propositions, truth mm-hmm. statements. You know, Jesus loves you absolutely. Right. Why does Jesus love right. you? Who is Jesus? There you go. Uh, what's the implications of that? So, giving that grand narrative. 
sets this framework. Now it's the landscape for discipleship, and I can enter in at any point, mm. and it's going to tether back to the gospel, um, and, and they'll view it that way. That's good. Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I tried to share the gospel with some guys who were uh, from a Muslim country, just like w- w- the one you were talking about, had no experience in the Bible at all. But they asked me kind of this question, you know, John 3 question, what do I have to do to be saved? And so I started the Roman road, which I'm a, I'm a fan of, right? I mm-hmm. like the Roman yeah. road and steps to peace with God. But as I was working through, okay, first we find the book of Romans, which isn't, you hand them a Bible. Right. It's not the first book in the Bible. Yep. It's not the middle book. It's kind of this, it feels like this random book. Kind yeah. of. Why, just, why do you start there? Why start there? Yeah. And so I said, okay, we're going to find the book of Romans. I couldn't read their language. And so we had to count down in the New Testament. I, I think this is the right one. And then they said, okay, so we turned and they started reading in the first verse. I said, no, 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 don't read the first verse. We're going to skip over here to the 23rd verse of the third chapter. And as I worked through the Roman road, Romans 623, 323, Roman, it, I watched the look on their face as if you had to know a magic code exactly. to become a Christian. Yeah, absolutely. That somehow this mystery that Paul talked about from the beginning is the magic code to be able to figure out how to mm-hmm. get the combination right. And that's when I, I backed away and just said, well, well, there has to be a better way sure. to get at this story. Yeah, and uh, so that was that's kind of what led me down this same road. You've talked about a grand narrative, and yeah, we're going to link to your faculty lecture because it's a tremendous explanation. I encourage all of our listeners to go find that, take some time, and listen to uh, Dr. Robinson talk through that. But can you give a kind of a quick overview of what you mean by this grand narrative and how that? holds together this big book that is the Bible and helps us work through that sure. as a way to do evangelism and discipleship? Sure. Let me let me do that by framing it the way that I, I frame it when I share. So um, I, I've come to a place where I think that there are four universal worldview questions, Okay. right? Right. So no matter what country a person's from, what okay. ethnicity, no matter what point in history they right. lived, they live... Uh, by the way that they interact or the way that they believe related to these worldview questions. That's the lens through which they function in mm-hmm. life. And so those questions are, where do we come from? Mm-hmm. Like uh, origin stories, what you believe about where you come from right. uh, automatically gives purpose, mm-hmm. right? It establishes purpose and meaning in life. Right. Uh, what went wrong with the world, that you know is uh, the way that we make sense out of the disappointments and the frustrations and the pain and loss and everything in yep. life. Is there any hope uh, that is you know what you give yourself to? Whatever you put your hope in is is what you give yourself to. Okay, yeah. And then what does the future hold? Hmm. And so going back to your question, how do I tie all of that together? I use those four worldview questions because the Bible, actually is structured to answer those four mm. wor- worldview questions. Wow. Where do we come from? Mm. We tell the story of creation yep. in Genesis 1 and 2. There we're going to emphasize, um, first of all, God, yep. um, that he's the author and the hero of the story. Yep. He's the center. He's yep. the main point of every text, right. even the book of Esther that there never mentions him by name. He's the hero. Uh, he's the hero. Then creation. Mm. Um Creation is ordered in a specific way for a specific purpose. God, when he designed creation, he did so for his purposes. And so we need to understand how things relate together. And the fact that there was harmony, there was um, everything that God made was very good. In other words, um, you know, there's not some external standard for good. It means that 
Everything was functioning mm-hmm. according to the purpose that God designed it, and everything was in right relationship to him. Right. So if that's the case, if God made everything good, what went wrong? Good Second point. question, yeah. right? It goes right in to disobedience, right? We get the story of the fall uh, in Genesis chapter 3, and then consequence, mm-hmm. Genesis 3 through 11, shows us just how bad right. uh, sin is and the relational distance it creates between us and God mm-hmm. and us and one another. Yeah. So Genesis 3, you get individual sin, and Genesis 11, you get societal sin. Sense, right. right. And so you, you see that through that story. So disobedience, consequence, and then that leaves us in a place of desperate need. Mm-hmm. We can't fix ourselves. Right. And that sets up, is there any hope? Or where do you put your hope? Good. So promise made, yep. Genesis 12, you've got um, beginning, or actually Genesis 3.15 right. with the proto-Euangelion, but then Genesis 12 clarifies it's going to be through Abraham's seed, and then the rest of the Old Testament is a long, detailed answer to a short, simple question. Who's that hope? rescuer? Yeah. Uh, who are you putting your hope in? Who's that right. rescuer? And then promise kept mm-hmm. um, in the person and the work of Jesus and then if Jesus is who he says he is, right, if, if, if Jesus did, uh, the way I like to say it is, and I say it in that faculty sure. lecture, is kind of the thesis of that lecture, that the cross of Christ is the vindication of the character of God before a skeptical world. Wow. Um, and what I mean by yeah, that is yeah. that in the context of this story, the cross was not a tragic accident. It was the plan of God to reconcile mm. humanity to himself. And so we can look at the cross, and in the words of Paul from Romans right. 8.32, we can say, if God did not spare his one and only Son, mm. but freely gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Yep. And so you can't question the character of God um, when you look at the cross, because that's the links to which he'll go wow. to reconcile you to himself. And so that's Jesus is God's promise kept, and then if... If he did raise from the dead, which mm-hmm. we believe he we did, believe he did. That's right. Um, that changes everything. And so, what does the future hold? How do I live out of that? Um, we tell the story of the restoration of all things, which begins uh, in the even in the Gospels, right? Uh, but goes all the way through the Book of Revelation and culminates with um, all things being made new. And uh, the main point of the whole story mm-hmm. is that we be forever with God. Yeah. And so. There are 10 points that I kind of okay. emphasize, and I went through every single one of them right there, but right. I'll just walk straight through them. Okay. Um, creation. So hold on just a minute. If you're, if you're driving in your car, don't stop and yeah. write these down. Just go back. But if you got some, just grab a pencil or a pen or your, your phone and just jot down these 10 plot points or these 10 points, right. and uh, you'll be able to have the real handle on using your Bible as a primary tool. So walk through them there. So creation is God, creation, harmony. Okay. The fall is disobedience, consequence, and need. Okay. And then the rescue is promise made, promise kept, Mm -hmm. and restoration is all things new forever with God. Wow. And so if you can remember those 10 plot movements, Mm -hmm. you can tell the true story of the whole world, um, and you can do it in three or four minutes like I just did, or you can spend a lifetime unpacking uh, the details therein. So. That's great. You know, I, I tell people all the time that uh, the Bible really is answering this question: Why are things broken? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, everybody lives in a world. We know the world is broken. We've gone through COVID, political uprising. We see everything in Afghanistan. We see things happening around the world. People are crying. What's gone wrong? 
and your 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 outline perfectly gives this thing. This is what's gone wrong. It wasn't supposed to be that way. Everything in our heart says it's not supposed to be that way. Unbelievers, right. believers alike, clamoring for an answer, it's not supposed to be this way. And the Bible shows us, you're right, it's not supposed to be this way, and there's hope. Right. Disappointment or pain or tragedy, all of those things are a result of unmet expectations. Right. Right? right. The reason why we're disappointed, the reason why... Uh, we feel pain or hurt or betrayal or whatever is because we expected better. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that the biblical story tells us that we were created for happily ever after. Yeah, Like that's literally ingrained mm. within, that's hardwired into our mind. This, wow. Why would we expect better? It's because that's the way God designed yeah. us. Mm. And like in the words of Lewis, you know, right. Um, you're, you're, you're ne or actually Augustine originally said, you're never going to find your peace until you find yourself in God. Wow. Um, and so the happily ever after is not just a place. It's, it's being forever with God yeah. because we were designed to not live separate yep. from him. That's right. We were designed to, to live our lives in reference to him at every point. Yeah, if you're going to judge what life should be about— based on our experience in life, right. you would have no reason to think it ought to be better than it is. Right. But it's because God has planted something in yeah. the heart, the soul, the mind of every person in the world to say, it's not supposed to be this way. Yeah. And that's this longing for God's plan in your life. Yeah. And the, you know, the teacher even says that in Ecclesiastes, yep. that God has placed eternity, eternity in our hearts. And what does that even mean? Well, it, it means that there's a longing for something more. Right. That, uh, you know, if you find yourself having desires that nothing in this world can meet, as Lewis said, um, then perhaps it's because we were made for another world. Made for another world. That's right. Yeah. So thanks, George. I appreciate it. Man, what a great idea for using this. And not, not idea. You didn't, it's not like you just came up with it out of no, nowhere, no. right? This is something that many people are working on. You've just really popularized it and really uh, trained hundreds of our students to think about the Bible in this way. You know, the Bible is our source of authority. The Bible is our, uh, is our sufficient guide right. in our Christian life, and it ought to be that way in evangelism. And that doesn't mean that we don't use the Roman road or tracks right. or anything Absolutely. else. But there is a, there's a real benefit in understanding this is what we mean when we say the Bible is sufficient. This is what we mean when we talk about the Bible being authoritative in our life. So when we think about this, and you alluded to it earlier, but can you give us just a, a couple other handles on, given, uh, given this, what is the real benefit you see in this taking the the Bible as your source material, right. for for evangelism, and then later on for really discipleship, helping people grow in their faith. So this, rather than looking for tools and outlines and principles and this type of thing, taking the Bible. As a whole, what do you see as some of the benefits to doing that uh, as we're working through? Well, I mean, you know, if if the Bible is God's self-revelation, -revel right? He's revealing himself to us. And the point behind his revealing himself to us is to reconcile us to himself. Right. If, if that's the case, you know, there are a lot of great books and materials. And, you know, if you go on Amazon right now and you type in discipleship mm. materials, you're going to get... A lot of great things, and they're they're going to point back to the Bible at different places. Yeah. But like you said a while ago, when you were sharing the gospel with those Muslims, 
Um, it was almost like a, a, a secret formula. Right. You know, how did you get here and here and here? And right. so all of our discipleship curriculum, they have good content in them. Mm. Uh, but the thing that I want to emphasize is that the Bible is our primary curriculum for disciple making. Right. Why would we think we could improve upon <laughs> the way that God has delivered the story to us? Right. The best that we can do is help people to understand the story in the way that God delivered yeah. it to us. Yeah. And so, again, with evangelism, uh, starting there, it provides that landscape. Mm. And so when a person says yes to Jesus, now we're going to go back through that story mm. um, and and we're going to help them to to tie those pieces together and give the implications mm. of, okay, so how then, in the words of Schaefer, right. how then do we live? Good point. If yeah. this is the true story of the whole world, how does this shape uh, the way that we approach life, our relationships, yeah. our work, um, our play, everything that we do, it literally has something uh, to speak to about that. And so when it comes to disciple-making, I want to elevate the Bible itself. Right as the primary textbook for Scripture. And part of that, again, is missiological, mm -hmm. because when I, you know, when we served in South Asia, I anticipated being there a lot longer than we ended up being there. Right. Um, circumstances, family health crisis, sure. um, led to our coming home uh, very quickly. And here's, here's the one thing that I'm confident in, is that we shared the gospel with a lot of people we put Bibles in the hands of a lot of people. Uh, about a half dozen of those people actually rejected Islam and came to faith in Christ. Wow. And they have the Bible in their hands. That What they don't have is George. That's good. That's a great um, They have a framework for the story. They don't have me. They don't have another missionary that's living anywhere near them. Right. Um, but they've got the true story of the whole world, and they have already committed that this story is their story. Yep. It's It has implications for their whole life. Yep. And so even here in the States, you know, it's, it's pretty presumptuous for us to think if we're discipling someone that they would have to come to us as some sort of guru mm. in order to, okay, well, I've got this problem. Mm. Um, where do I go in the Scripture? Let's give them all of the Scripture and when they ask us a question, let's not come back with our quips and, mm. and our concepts and our ideas. Let's say, let's look and see what God says in his word. Yeah. And then we discover uh, God's word, and, and it is elevated as the authority in our life. Yeah. What a great thought, yeah. I mean, how many of us are looking for the next great book, the next great preacher, the next great podcast. And we're all in favor of podcasts around here, yeah, right? Yeah, we are. But, uh, but as the source of our spiritual growth, when you're right, I mean, God gave us the Bible as our authoritative source. When we claim and, and when we confess our, our belief that it's inerrant, that it's infallible, that it's sufficient, all of that should drive us to the Bible, and right. it ought to really guide the way we help other people read the Bible. Yeah. Can, you, can you give some just... So as an evangelism professor, you teach hundreds of students uh, every year. Can you give just some practical handles for our listeners? This is, this would be how you could, could use the Bible uh, as an evangelism tool. Just some, can some real practical tips you can can give us? Sure, sure. I, I do want to go back and okay. say first of all that like um, even the outline is I mentioned it mm -hmm. with the ten points and everything. It's not something that I 
came up with alone. Sure. So I, you know, back in 2008, I was introduced to a ministry called Spread Truth. Okay. Um, and they're based in up in Normal, Illinois, and um, Normal, fr- Normal that's Illinois. That's the real place. That is it's, a real. You're place. not just saying Normal, yeah. Illinois, but like this, the town is. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been looking for abnormal uh, <laughs> Illinois as well, but um, yeah. So my friend Jerry is the founder of that ministry, and he's been uh, just a, a great guy. He's been leading people on mission trips to New York City okay. for 25 years. Wow. And as you can imagine, you know, it's not the easiest place to do evangelism. And so all of the resources had kind of fallen flat for him. And he came to the same kind of realization as me, is I need to share the whole story because people don't even know what I'm talking about. That's right. So you don't have to be in a valley in Southeast Asia. You don't have to be in Central Asia to find someone who doesn't know the Bible. Right, right. You and could be so, in Georgia, you could be in Alabama, you could be in New York, you could be in normal Illinois. Increasingly, just about anywhere you go, right. the biblical worldview has been eradicated. Right. But my point in mentioning him is that God kind of connected us in a okay. unique way, and uh, we started hammering out. Uh, you know, I, was, I helped with some of the theological mm. uh, side of the development, and then we... Uh, uh, took a little gospel booklet that they had designed and um, made some adjustments and tweaks to it and then started developing curriculum mm-hmm. right. Um, right. that points people to the Bible. And the whole point behind that curriculum was to give people handles where they could enter into the biblical Good. story and and understand the implications of it for their life. And we'll link so, to all of that yeah. in the in our podcast, how to find the materials, the yeah. resources, the curriculum, so anyone who's interested can find that. So so, so repeat your question. So some so practical I can, tips. Yeah. So, so let's say I'm listening to the podcast. Hey, this is fascinating. I'm new. Yeah. I'm used to sharing the gospel. Either I really don't share the gospel, right. but I think I want to, or I've got a been sharing the gospel using the Roman road or only when tracks, my fingers, my toes, sure. pictures, new idea. What are some some practical handles? So the, the first practical handle is that we communicate what we cherish. Okay. We're never we're never going to communicate the gospel broadly until we cherish the gospel deeply. Great. And so for us to know the story mm. and to to truly find ourselves in it. Uh, is going to produce what we see in Luke 24 with those disciples on the road to Emmaus. When they understood what had just happened in the context of the story, it caused their hearts mm. to burn within them. And that they literally said, did not our hearts burn within us as he explained this story to us on the road? Right. And then what happens? They get up and they run back to Jerusalem. They start telling everybody because burning hearts lead to burning lips. Wow. And so the first thing that I would uh, say from a practical standpoint is if you want to become more effective in talking with people about the true story of the whole world, you've got to like just absolutely bathe in yeah. the true story of the whole world. So read your Bible. Read your Bible. And I would argue, listen to your Bible. Mm. So... Um, in academic arena, when we read things, like I can't read without a pen in my sure. hand. I'm constantly right. dissecting and making notes right. and everything. What listening does, which my wife and I have been on this journey for four years now, we listen through the Bible every year wow. together and uh, use a different translation each time so that things stand out. But listening to the Bible, uh, mm. it forces me 
to engage in the storyline without trying to dissect and start and okay. stop and read chapters yeah. and all of that. Do you have a particular app or program that you use to do that with? So, yeah, I just use the Bible Gateway app, okay. and you can download all of the audio versions uh, there. And so I think the first year I listened through in the ESV, and year two I listened through um uh, NIV, and okay. then year three, I listened through the message. Wow, okay. Um, because I wanted to get kind of those nuances yep. that Peterson yep. uh, gives in yep. in the message. I know it's not a translation, sure. but um, but I was really edified yep. by it. Um, and then this year is the the CSB. Okay. Um, but the bottom line, listening. Right immerses yourself in the story and and it creates that burning heart. So that's the first tip. Yep. You got you got to swim in the storyline of scripture. Um the second thing is with regards to evangelism, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that I think uh, keeps people from talking to others about the Bible is they don't know how to transition a conversation. Okay. And so transitioning is huge right. and Ultimately, you've got to just embrace the awkward, right? <laughs> okay. Um, because uh, you know there there's no easy way in. But telling the true story of the whole world, and you tied into it a, a few minutes ago with the concept of the brokenness of the world and disappointment. Mm-hmm. That's where ninety percent of my gospel conversations begin. Wow. Because when you're talking to people, people are constantly they'll have something to complain about, right. some disappointment, some crisis. Uh, some opinion about what's going on in the world or whatever. And that provides the perfect on-ramp into a gospel conversation. Um, So I can start with their disappointment, their frustration, Mm. and their wishing things were better. Mm -hmm. And I can very easily say, you know, what do you, this is obviously not the way the world's supposed to be. So what do you think went wrong? Hmm. And then I listen. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to evangelism, I think Christians need to cultivate the skill of asking good questions yep. and then listening good. intently. And then from there, uh, as Randy Newman says, um, the person who controls the questions controls the direction of the conversation. Mm. Good. And so by asking good questions, you can actually move them through the storyline of Scripture, um, and they don't even think that they're getting a presentation right. or something. Because they're not being sold a bill of goods. They're not. You're having a conversation. You're having a conversation. So that's the the second thing is is to embrace the awkward mm-hmm. and and you know to to take a conversation. Don't be afraid to take a conversation deep right. into spiritual things very quickly. Uh, the vast majority of people, even in Western culture, are open to spiritual conversations. Yeah. Uh, I think Barna's latest poll, seventy eight percent of okay. people um, in America are open to having spiritual conversations. So only two out of ten people you'll talk to would be the person you're afraid you're going to talk to. Somebody's going to be rude or mean or just shut you down. Completely disinterested. That's right. That's right. Um, So, you know, those are are two Mm -hmm. things. And then in terms of practical handles uh, with regards to actually sharing the story, Mm -hmm. I find that... um, uh, when you're having a conversation with somebody, I mean, you and I are sitting here in this room sure. and we're looking at one right. another in the face, but we give ourselves uh, little breaks from looking mm-hmm. into one another's eyes and everything yeah. like that. Because if you stare at someone and if you're talking about serious things, um, it creates a sense of anxiety. Huh. And what ends up happening is when anxiety enters in, uh, the person stops listening. 
Hmm. They stop engaging in the conversation. Okay. They're thinking, how do I get out of this? Okay. And so one of the things that I train our students to do is to utilize uh, a simple tool, something okay. like a note card or okay. a napkin, um, and actually draw out you know, the message that you're okay. sharing with them on that. And what it does is it, it brings a third inanimate object. This napkin doesn't wow. have feelings. Okay. Right? Right. And you're giving uh, the person the opportunity to you know, tamp down mm-hmm. the anxiety because they're looking at something, they're hearing you, mm-hmm. they're seeing what you're saying, mm-hmm. and it gives them an, a little bit of a uh, an out with regard of to anxiousness. Um, and so I actually train our students to, mm-hmm. to draw the three circles gospel okay, right. conversation and to use the content of the story. Okay. They feed together perfectly. Yeah, they do. Um, and so draw out the three circles mm-hmm. and tell the true story of the whole world. You can plug your worldview questions mm-hmm. in along the way. Do it in a simple way. Um, and that's going to cause people to plug in, and it's also going to relieve the anxiety on your part as the, the person who's sharing because if you've got a drawing mm-hmm. and you know what that drawing is, if you've practiced it, right. gotten reps with it, then you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. Good, yeah. It's there. Right. You know it. Right. Um, and you're able to facilitate that conversation. That's great. I appreciate those those tips. They're super helpful. And, George, thanks for being with us today. What a great opportunity, and I think our, our listeners can benefit greatly from this. And, again, we want to link to your faculty lecture, sure. which is a much more expanded uh, version of this. Well done. I would encourage all of you. Uh, take some time, listen to that, watch the video. It'll be, we'll link to it, but you can find it on our Southeastern website. Um, we'll link to the Spread Truth material, right. uh, the other resources that you have. So anyone who's interested um, in that. Are there any other practical resources that you might recommend to people? The the Bible app you talked about listening to, uh, the Spread Truth material, we'll link to your fact lecture. Anything else that you think would be um, particularly helpful? Another great resource that you can um use is to, to know the people who live around uh-huh. you is uh, blesseveryhome.com. Okay. And so it's a, it's a practical resource. Uh, you can plug in your address. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, I know this sounds a little weird, but it uses census data and it literally shows you the names of the people who live in your neighborhood in every home. Right. right? And so uh I use that, and I encourage students to use that because you begin to enter your neighborhood um, like a missionary, right? right. When That's you were good. when you were living overseas, absolutely, like you knew when you went to this town or this mm-hmm. section of the city. I'm these are the people who live here, right. and so to know the names of fifty people who live around me in my neighborhood. Now, when I walk those streets. Mm-hmm. I pray right. specifically for them. And if I'm praying for them, I'm more likely to engage them in a conversation. Wow. Um, and, and you can actually, on the Bless Every Home uh, website, you create your free account there. You can um, um, actually kind of document for yourself. It's private. Okay. It's your own account. Okay. So you can document prayer requests as okay. you engage those people. Wow. Uh, you can kind of track conversations okay. uh, for yourself so that the next time you talk mm-hmm. to Bob across the street— um, you know where you left off last right. time, those types of things. Okay. So that's just a, a simple tool that, um, you know, the, the thing— Shapes I, your mentality, right? Yeah, that's— you I, like I, I, try, I try to tell students, like, 
getting on a plane is not going to magically transform the way that right. you live. So let's go ahead and cultivate uh, living like a missionary here and now, right. and that involves uh, not just exegeting the text mm-hmm. of Scripture, but learning how to exegete your own community. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. George, thanks for being with us today in, sure. on The Scent Life, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in. Make sure that you, again, make uh, take advantage of the resources that we're linking to. We put these out here as, as helpful uh, tools. Uh, for those of you who are listening, if you want to go further, deeper into the conversation that we're having, we also want to encourage you to, uh, to like uh, our podcast and pass it on to your friends. Uh, this is a way that we, we uh, spread, uh, spread the movement of the scent life of, of encouraging people to, to be on mission with our missionary God. Thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we look forward to being back with you next week. George, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it.